0: All things Alice. This podcast will explore the cultural phenomenon of Alice in Wonderland as artistic landmark and global symbol of inspiration and imagination. I'm your host, Frank Bedore, the author of the Looking Glass Wars trilogy. Let's explore what is it about Alice. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today is the 21st episode, Lucky 21. So thank you for tuning in. And today I'm delighted to have yet another talented guest joining us, Rocco Rutuno. He is a master craftsman in the world of copywriting. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with this fascinating niche of the entertainment business, don't worry, we're going to get right into it, because he's worked on some massive stuff. The Sopranos, one of my favorite shows, Succession, Game of Thrones, and of course, a few of my projects, a couple of my titles I was struggling with, and I reached out to him, so he saved me. We're going to talk about that. So settle in as we peer through the looking glass to get a behind-the-scenes peek at how the taglines and titles you know so well and love are created. Hey, Rocco, mastermind of the tagline, welcome to the show. Good to see you, man.
1: Oh, it's nice to see you. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, for sure. I was looking up today, our first project. It's been a while, but we also, we go back to uh, February of 97. What? Yeah, wicked, right? right? You look the same, fortunately. (laughs) You're a charmer. You're a charmer. It was for The Second Wife. Yes. A can sell sheet. You know, it's kind of a little bit like why I'm talking today is, you know, talking about trying to market a film. And uh, that film uh, also uh, was retitled, which is another thing that uh, I sort of do. It featured uh, Julia Stiles as you recall, in uh, in a small sort of a breakout role.
0: Well, actually, she had the, uh, the starring role. And what was interesting about the movie was um, the guy who played her dad was technically kind of the star right? because he was more well-known. But Julia was clearly going to be a movie star, because we started that film we started shooting that film at the end of 96 97 we were finishing and i just did not like that title the second wife yeah. you know anything yeah. with wife felt you know it felt always going to be a melodrama about divorce so i came to you to retitle it correct
1: or- well, actually, I don't, I don't think it was part of that. What I was a part of was coming up with a synopsis for your one sheet, uh, or not one sheet, a sell sheet, I think, for Can. So that's part of what we were, you know, meant to be talking about in, in that, you know, there's so many different things they go into promoting a film. And in this case, I think you're, you know, trying to get some sales, some, you know, and some uh, press. So, the film was done, so all the all the information about the entire story was there. And then just wanted to have something, so I, I think he probably ended up having some art of some kind on the front, maybe a little line, and then and the, and I assume at the time before he changed it, the title. And then in the back there was uh, just like a one-page synopsis giving you know people that might want to buy it or might want to you know show it an idea of what the film's about. Now the irony, and I think I mentioned one time to you that was that when you invited me to the screening, my wife and I were, happened to be sitting in back of Julia Styles, and she was really, really good, and you could tell uh, she had a, you know a career, and I uh, kind of tapped her on the shoulder afterwards and I said, "Well, congratulations on your brilliant career coming I mean, career." And the ironic thing was that about six months or maybe a year later, I got... Uh, assignment to work on 10 uh, things i hate about you which was for uh disney touchstone so that came out in probably was filmed in 98 after your film uh came out in 99 and uh yeah breakout star that she yeah she happened to be with uh, another unknown guy named heath ledger
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah, little-known <laughs> guy, Heath Ledger. I know,
1: right. I know. And it was a, it was just a great vehicle for them, you know, it's, it was basically a teen Ron Ram Khan, uh, you know, and Shakespeare's uh, Taming of the Shrew take off, you know. And they did a great job. And you know, it's just one of those things rare for me to have been in the ground floor of, you know, seeing someone's beginning of someone's career. And that was a nice opportunity and the reason I mentioned is that's yeah, that's our first project together. So, well,
0: you know, one of the reasons, Rocco, that I love doing this podcast is because. Often, I learn more about my fellow writers, certain their backstory, and I also like to discover their career path and the creative process. And your career and your job is really fascinating because I don't think it gets as much press because you guys are behind the scenes. And what's also interesting is you're a freelance, emphasize emphasis on free, uh, <laughs> which- uh, Not the price, just What's yeah,
1: that no. not not the price but just the <laughs> yes yeah, not the, the price
0: <laughs> but the freedom part and freedom you know part. you know part of being a writer is uh, the upside of it is that freedom as long as the price is high enough it just seems like a really cool job to work in freelance advertising where your focus is now get is coming up with taglines and retitles, titles, copy for trailers. I mean, just kind of walk us through all the different things that you're called upon as a freelance writer in uh, the marketing of television and movies.
1: Well, thank you for uh, synopsizing what I do. Uh, not too, It is uh, kind of unsung, and I'd like to you know, appreciate you letting me sing a little about <laughs> what I do, what a lot of other writers like myself do first i have to say that we are not well at least I am not but uh, I would i' would assume most of the writers that do what i do we're not in a union and not part of you know what's going on now with the uh writer's strike which i think is if I was doing that I'd certainly be on the line it's uh it really is they're they're they are sung in some ways and they are they do get you know, nominated for awards and that. But again, everything really starts, you know, with the written word. I can't do what I do without that. And so, a little anecdote, which, you know, is actually two. One is <laughs> that uh, we had uh, uh, an acquaintance of my wife's, and she had known her for, you know, a few years. And one day, you know, they were getting a little closer, and she said, So, what is it exactly that your husband does? And so my wife tried to explain, well, you know, he kind of writes promotional copy and lines for for films. It's kind of film marketing, film advertising. I think she gave her one of my lines, which I'm not going to say, but let's give you a good one. The famous line from Alien. So you have a a poster where you don't really know what's going on. You know, they they were real careful not to show the creature. And the poster line was in space. No one can hear you scream, which is brilliant. It tells you everything. It tells you it's in space, right? It tells you it's horror in an upscale way, not in a you know in a, a slasher, slasher way. way, right? And it really encapsulates and and it really did the heavy lifting. And so the woman, you know, pause for a second. She says, "So he gets paid for that, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know, and so what uh, I do is." basically, like I said, it starts with the written word or at least some sort of a, a concept of what a project is going to be about. And I'll either read a script or in some cases, uh, there may be a semi-finished uh, version of the film or TV show. And so I'll read or watch that. And you know, I'll make my notes about what I think it's about or what are you know some important things. But in general, what happens is that the advertising end of it really is left to the studios marketing departments. And marketing's gone back to the very beginning of film. I mean, you know, you could have, probably have a you know Nickelodeon and somebody would have a sandwich board and say this is the greatest, you know, Western ever or something. And yeah, the whole idea is just trying to get people in the seats. And that's changed as hit movies and TV and everything has have changed over the years. And maybe a lot of people are still confused as to not only what we do, but how much they actually spend. Because you know, it's often you see in the in an ad where you know a film has cost 150 million dollars, and then first couple of weeks they may make 300 million, and so most people would say, "Well, you know, they're." really doing well. They already made everything back and you know everyone's getting money. I don't, don't want to go into Hollywood accounting, as you know. <laughs> because, <laughs> you have a whole thesis. Yes, uh, we could put, put everybody to problem. sleep,
0: for sure. Yeah,
1: who, who doesn't get paid? Uh, they made a billion dollars and there's no profits. But the point being that you could see, oh, they made this and it's twice what they you know, spent. They got to be money. What The studio genuinely can say is that and truthfully can say is that, well, we spent about 100 million or more marketing the film and people don't realize that, yes, there are costs for ads going on TV. There are costs for, as you mentioned earlier, the trailers that are in the theaters, the objects, all the print objects, the standees the outdoor billboards, the mainly work on is one sheets, which are basically the, the you know, 27 by 41 posters that you see in the theaters. And uh, they are the vehicle that, you know, kind of yeah. introduces something yeah. to people. And, and so the copy part hopefully gives you some sort of a, an incentive to want to come and see the film.
0: I mean, that's part of, Part of what you do is coming up with clever, humorous, tonally appropriate taglines or phrases because you have your very few words. Like I just saw the trailer no, no I saw a one sheet for Meg 2, the shark movie, and the tagline was new Meg, old chum. Now, that's a pretty good tagline. And you mentioned Alien, which was a classic, Uh, and you said it did the heavy lifting. And the text, when you say what did the heavy lifting was the text because the visual was trying to hold back the creature. And so when you're coming up with that process, there are, I would imagine there's hundreds and hundreds of versions until the studio or whoever your partners are in the marketing, you know, say this is the one. That's not so easy, you know. From my standpoint, that seems really hard. Which is why I always reach out to you. What are the creative elements that you know you use to to uh, to come up with that stuff?
1: Well, basically, as I mentioned earlier, you know, it starts with the written word. So I would maybe see a script, read a script, possibly see a completed or near completed version of the show mm-hmm. or the movie. And the main thing that that sort of starts me off is, you know, I'll, I'll write down things. I'll have some, uh, you know, information from the client, though, that in a brief they'll say, well, we kind of want to sell the film this way. Um, so keep an eye out for those things. I mean, we might want to use some lines from the film, you know, maybe keep an eye out, maybe make some notes. It's that the client, and, and in this case it could be someone that's from the Marketing arm of the studio, but more cases than not, uh, with, like within the last 30 years or so, there's been a really big growth in advertising. Uh, what, let's call them boutiques, but they're also independent of the studios, but they work very closely with the marketing department mm-hmm. who works with you know the, the directors, producers, and so on. And they they kind of have an idea, maybe sometimes not so good of an idea while well, how they want to sell the movie and they want to touch on a lot of different things perhaps. And they call that, you know, what well, can you write to these buckets? So they might say we have five ways we're thinking about this. And ultimately what happens though is to kind of hedge their bets a little bit, they'll also do some market research and have some focus groups. And so different things can happen along the way. They may initially want to show one thing or say one thing and I'll be called in, and it'll be called like an exploration. That's basically the best way to put it. So a copy exploration. So while artists are working on, as I mentioned earlier, key art, and that that's a long process, like you said. It you know it's I, I think the thing is like anything else that I had mentioned earlier, like trying to work and do lighting or trying to do costumes or, you know, it's. Time intensive, you you know, you you see the finished product and don't really know what goes on behind it. And yeah, I personally could work on, you know, and two, 300 different titles to, you know, 50 to 100, 150 taglines, come back and do some more. Other, other writers have done other things at other studios, and they have all this stuff to choose from, and it has to be, you know, tested, agreed upon by a lot of people. So there's a lot of fingerprints on all that, as you know, being in the business. It's certainly not a one-person one, one person, uh, job, and it just it takes some time to trying to figure out, you know, and it's usually – more often than that, it ends up in the last minute. It's like, oh, we've got to get this film. You know, we've got to get it out. It's opening tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> let press. You know, well, basically, it's happened. You know, it's like, you know, well, when are they going to ever finish? You know, yeah. t- they're trying to figure it out. Well, they, it's opening in two weeks. So I think today's, that's it. <laughs> they just ran out of time, you know, and then they'll have another crack at it if it goes to home entertainment, if they want to sell it a different way. And there's all those considerations, too, of selling for different markets. So, um, international. That's a whole, you know, animal on its own in terms of how
0: often how often are you restricted by space on a poster? You're competing or in tandem with the art. So, for instance, we were talking about Meg, Two. They only have four words, mm-hmm. uh, uh, new Meg, uh, uh, old chum. Um yeah. And I find that fascinating because I, I have a whole sentence to communicate and then a paragraph and then a whole page. And to reduce it to a clever summation and to hit the tone, I guess my question is, do they give you a limit or, hey, you have to fit it into, here's this piece, this, the, here's a shark, we want it in the shark mouth, or do they do that? Do they find the tagline in tandem with the artist or whoever is putting the key art together?
1: Uh in terms of the poster, in general, less is more and for the medium, especially for uh print, and then you had alluded to billboards. I mean, that's hot medium. I mean, it's like you gotta you gotta sell it like you know in a second, you're unless you want to yeah. get into an accident, right? So you're you're looking up and you're driving and it, you know, you have to hit it. And same with even, you know, a poster. I mean, there's a little bit more time to look at it, you know, you might be strolling, you know, down a street, you pass a theater. But I think the, the less you use with, you know, it's le- the less with most impact, I think, you know, right. Uh, minimum words, maximum, you know, impact.
0: Okay, I want to go to some of your taglines. And I want to start with 10 Things I Hate About You, because as you pointed out, that was uh, starring Julia Stiles and Heath Ledger before he was up and coming. And the movie, uh, The Second Wife, Wicked, premiered at Sundance Film Festival. And Julia Stiles was really discovered at -hmm. the Sundance Film Festival, which was in 1998. And she then went on, as you said, right after that to to do this Disney movie, 10 Things I Hate About You, right. which you alluded to is Shakespeare's, you know, a sort of a teen rom-com setup of uh, Shakespeare's The um, Taming of the Shrew. Right. Uh, and you had to write a tagline for that. Do you remember what the tagline
1: yeah. Um, I know I what it is. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll that, read I, it to you. Go ahead, and you read it. Yeah.
0: How, how do I loathe thee? Question mark. Mm-hmm. Let me count the ways.
1: So that, That's well, good.
0: Again. That's well, really you. good because, you know, yeah. on a romantic comedy, especially two people that clearly don't like each other come right. to fall in love. Right. That's the essence of romantic comedy. Right. And in this... You nailed it with "How do I loathe thee?" <laughs> Question right. mark. Ten, ten things I hate about you. So it it, it ties together beautifully a contemporary idea taking um, a Shakespearean play. Uh, so just walk us through that process for you.
1: Yeah, it, it's always I think clients and I think the general uh, public respond to things that are twists on something that's commonly, you know, that is familiar. So how do I love thee? So if you could do that, you could, that's, that's good. Like I mentioned, the writing to a bucket or something, um, there's also like writing to an image or, or a concept, which could be, you know, in a very early stage and other behind the scenes and unsung people are people that actually illustrate someone's idea. Uh, they may not have, the images from the unit, uh, the, the people that are you know are actually producing the show, they may not want to you know, let them out.
0: You're talking about the photographs from the yeah, the
1: photographs behind the scenes, yeah. and so uh, a, a creative director or like this, like I mentioned, a boutique studio that I might work for would have their uh, art directors maybe pull old uh, images. But, uh, you know, they may have these great ideas and they want them sketched up. And so there's a whole bunch of people that do just that. They're just sketch artists. And they may come up with 25 different ideas. And then they might ask me, well, can you tie something into this? And so, you know, so there may be them uh, in succession. It might be them at a table. It might be. Uh, the golden apple that's fallen and it has, you know, something bitten out of it. It could, you know, it could be uh, on a ladder. It could be something in a stock market idea or something. Uh, the, the did did man- they, did the they do that?
0: Did they bring those, all those yes. ideas yes. to yes. you? Yes. And so
1: that's the thing, right. They'll okay. do that. I'll write to it. Okay. And it will go over, you know, and well, it may not go over. That's, about, that's the part, you know, where they don't know. It's the people that are the producers, writers, creators, uh, other studio people like it in this particular case, HBO might say, you guys are you know way off. Or you know this is really intriguing. Can we see more exploration? Can we see a little bit more copy that's not quite in the nose or something? And I think ultimately, as I said earlier, less is more. And so if you could tell the basic story, I think when you're doing, and unfortunately, I've been able to work on season ones of some of these shows, uh, which is a nice thing because you kind of you get a good first crack and hopefully, you know, if the show's successful, it's kind of a, a little feather. It's sort of like, well, you yeah, we kind of nailed it. And a lot of people are, and it's not me in any way that, you know, I'm not acting, I'm not writing uh, It's the show itself, but at least if it got people to maybe tune in that, that you know, that was a good thing. And for some odd reason, you know, I've worked on a lot of uh, pilots or a lot of season ones. It's hard because in one sense, not even the creators really know how they should sell the show. They know the show. They probably know, I'm sure, how the season, first season is going to end. And they probably maybe even have a Bible or an arc for, the, you know, four or five seasons. But things sort of change as the show develops and as they, you know, gain a, a audience and then the audience prefers a certain character that maybe they didn't think about before and they get, Written and then the, it changes. You know, the ad uh, for the say the next season. I could allude to one in particular, which was uh, The Sopranos. How do you sell The Sopranos? Nobody knows what it's about. The studio knows the people behind it are really good, but you know you, you don't really. You know you could sell it that way. You could say, well, they this is their. You know they've done these things that you've seen before, Life on the Streets, and yeah, David Chase was very adamant. About using the title, and you could work around it. You could keep the story the same, everything the same. By you know, the family is going to be called the Sopranos, and that's that, that's it. But should the show be called that? And so, getting back to your you're saying about uh, you retitling and all that exploration. Well, it was a real problem for HBO. I mean, what is this A show about? A family of opera singers you know i mean that's literally no <laughs> right, oh, yeah, that's, right. Literally, that's a real no. thing i mean that's the first you know they're not trying to be you know sound stupid they're yeah, just no, trying to sense. look at it you know? right as a, as a as a normal viewer would you know look at i even you know it's like oh it's, you know that's your yeah. name and i read the script and i as i remember i don't think they revealed the last scene or maybe it was rewritten and the thing was it as you may remember it really kind of had it was maybe a tad lighter um than it certainly turned out to be and i think they were one of the main hooks of the show as you may recall was that you have this leader of a you know a successful mafia uh, New Jersey mafia operation. And, you know, we went through all the titles, you know, the the made man, made in America, all these things that, you know, not the Sopranos, right? It's going to be about the mobsters or it's going to be about his problem. And the basic, you know, hook was his problem of dealing with his own family, you know, his family, the the mob family and the pressures and him going to a psychiatrist, which yeah, was that was the big thing. And Lauren, uh, Lauren Bracco was known. And so she was, kind of a big character because she had been in uh, Goodfellas. And, uh, you know, uh, James Gandolfini had been in, you know, some character roles and not really known. And so she was a big part of it. And then it was sort of, well, then that's not really what the show. You kind of, after the first initial violence, and then as they got, people got more and more into all his family characters, it became this show then about his life and uh, his you know, the two sides and all that thing and it, it'd be fleshed out. But in the beginning, it was kind of like, well, you got this character and he's going to be in therapy and they bought it. And it, rightly so, but it was like, well, how do we, you know, you know, the, so they went, wanted to go with the mob thing right away. And then eh, I really don't want to sell that. He, and so he stuck by the original title and David, of course, did.
0: David Chase. stuck And, and,
1: and, and, you know, it just made, Sense later, obviously, you know. Everyone knows what it is. No one cares that it's, you know, the Sopranos. They're not a family of opera singers, and you know, it's, it's, it's a anyway to answer your question. And you know, it's, it's a very involved process, especially titles, because it should say so much. It should nail it pretty well. And well, that's a great. That's
0: really a great example because, to your point, uh, the Sopranos does sound like some other kind of show um and uh, you don't want you don't want it to feel like a bread and butter uh crime drama with mm-hmm. you know mobsters that's on the tail of you know goodfellas and all these other you know movies so what distinguishes it um and i, I can see that that be a-, a very complicated and difficult um task and then you have the showrunner who's insisting uh, rightly so he knew something and that's where the executives have to trust the creator that there's something there's a reason i named it the sopranos there's a, there's a there's there's a tone to their name that is going to be in the show but it's very legitimate to to think that that can be confusing and turn people off and so you came up with if one family doesn't kill you the other family will your job is you know, pressure filled to deliver. And also when you deliver that, they're going to, it's repeat business. If you can come up with a tagline, like if one family doesn't kill you, the other family will, where there's lots of complications with a filmmaker, a creator who wants to keep the title, the studio's like, this is really confusing. We want this, we don't want that. Uh, you know, that's, that's a, That's that's a good job. I mean, that's that's a job that's going to keep on. I, I, I,
1: you know, it's like the old saying, uh, you know, if you uh, enjoy what you do, you don't work a day in your life. And I and I genuinely feel that way. I mean, there are times, you know, deadlines are varies and it could be could be anywhere from a week or boy, two weeks, actually two weeks is too long for me. Um, I like to get things done in a session and then go back and edit, but it could be within a few hours. <laughs> we, have, we have a, what they call a fire drill. And so can, can you call it noon? can you get it to us by the end of the day, five o'clock or something? And that, that's a little less fun, but the thing I wanted to mention was, uh, and I keep going back to sort of the selling part because as I mentioned, it is show business. And so you, you know, there's a the creative side in all aspects of the business And then there's the craft side, you know, getting it done in time, whether you're building a set or something that doesn't fall and what have you. The craft for me is to have resources, things that I've thought of before. You know, in a notebook, I had a writer friend who worked for actually in television who uh, said, keep a file. Now, keep a file of things you think of, keep a file of things you think worked well. It could be advertising. It could be movies. And I was uh, going to mention earlier, most of the entertainment breaks down into maybe five or six different categories. So I'll have a file on drama and one on horror and one on romance and one on comedy and one on like thriller, adventure, you know, thrillers. And if I need to jumpstart something, if I need to springboard, I could go to that. And if I need to do it, you know, uh, uh, you know, in, especially in that, that quick of a time, just to kind of get Things going, so yeah. There's a little bit of pressure to uh, make sure you don't, you know, f it up, and that you get most, you know, bang for your book.
0: So, do you work with as a freelancer? Do you work with different boutique advertising agencies? Uh, they call you up and say, "Hey, this is what we're doing," or does the studio call you directly? How does that work?
1: It, it could it could be uh, one. Another or both sometimes, but generally I would say it's the boutique because they, that's what they do. And, uh, you know, and again, I, alluding back to the old studio system where they had in-house, you know, uh, creative agencies doing the one sheets, the posters and doing uh, their, their trailers and cutting all that. Um, they gave a lot of that up again, I, th- I think to save money, uh, you know, maybe open different, uh, areas in the, in the studio, uh, a lot of, you know, it's a huge thing with international sales now and and just marketing and, and not marketing so much, but uh, distribution rather. Um, that's a huge, huge thing. The studio generally is in charge of handing it out to the boutiques and the boutiques to me. And occasionally it'll be the studio itself.
0: I don't want to embarrass you, Rocco, but I'm really impressed with a lot of the taglines you've done. Oh, and okay. um kind of excited to just say the tagline first and then give a little pause and let the audience guess what the show is. Okay, so the first one is, uh, take what's yours. Take what's yours. Now, that's a big show. This was for season one of Succession. Just tell us quickly, you know, what you were thinking of? What What is that? What does Take What's Yours conjure for the audience? What were you aiming for?
1: Uh, conflict, you know, what it drives every story, right? And, you know, you can't tell, you can, if you want to tell too much. And like I had mentioned earlier, the uh, in the 70s or 80s, you know, they had a paragraph, but, you know, they want to quick and to the point. And I think um, that's it. That conflict. It, you know? Conflict. Well,
0: that's going to come up a lot. And it's certainly going to come up with the next title that everybody's going to know. War is coming. Everybody knows that's uh, game of Thrones, but the difference is this was for season two. So people had watched this first season and tell us what the thinking was there.
1: Again, yeah, in this particular case, it goes and, and it's, it's similarly done in successive seasons. And it really is the arc of the season. And so what do we want to put out there? You know, right. So they've been teasing war and now war's coming. And then it's, you know, the next season is, you know, this one takes the throne or something. And got it. building on that story arc, which the writers probably came up with, you know, 10 seasons. And then yeah. they're all trying to hit a certain message.
0: Okay. This title, this, this tagline's one of my favorite. Life's not a word. It's a sentence. Life's not a word. It's a sentence. It was a while ago, but that was Oz for season one. That's very clever.
1: Thank you. And it's just basically, well, how do you, the show is Oz and it's a little bit, uh, I don't want to say it's light (laughs) because it's about prison, but at the same time, uh, I think, and especially with HBO premium, uh, hopefully Clever, intelligent, right? You know, that's what they want. So
0: yeah, and it, it, you know, you pick it up right away, as you do with this next one. Waiting sucks. <laughs> Waiting <laughs> right. sucks. Right. True Blood season three. What was the first season? Do you know what the first season tag was? The second season and
1: yeah, I, I wish I did. Uh, I know they're very short and very clever. It basically. I don't know if it was something like everything's hotter down south. I'm not not sure what it was, but they were very clever because it had that campy feel. Uh, Of course, by this actual point, there was uh, a delay, and uh, in the you know their season, you know it was going to, you know instead of coming in six months later or eight months later, it took like I can't remember what the reason was, but it took 12 months or a year and a half or whatever. And so that was that message. Um, But, you know, they may have even had another one for that season that explains something else. But there are these also, one of the big points is that there are a lot of teaser things. And that's, you know, uh, one of the things they did with uh, True Blood was doing a lot of ads like just showing a coffee pot and said, well, it's really with, you know, red liquid. And it's a, you know, it's time. Time for a cup of Joe, right? You know, <laughs> we had all these funny, you know, yeah. allusions to the show. Yeah, clever, campy, and they would put those and wild post those. Wild posting, be like, you know, just taking smaller versions of the poster, putting them on a telephone pole or something, and it would get it out there. And there's so many different techniques now that you can do. Obviously. Uh, on, online, so and
0: know. and and those all those shows I mentioned, along with The Sopranos, which we spoke about earlier, are HBO. Um, is is that is that just luck of the draw, or do you, does HBO have a good sense of what you do, or do you have the same ad probably, agency?
1: Probably don't know me from Adam. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I think what it is the uh, boutiques. We've been to my own a little bit. I think maybe they think, well, you know, he can maybe come up with something that is a little, um, I guess they say clever or, you know, a little bit intelligent. And so that, you know, is uh, in my favor for shows like, you know, the ones who you mentioned, HBO, you know. And I think the thing uh, that I would say about myself and other, all other successful. People that do this is, and and it could be artists as well and designers as well as writers, is being able to do a lot of different type of shows. So it could be broad comedy, clever, you know, witty comedy, independent movies. Yeah, well, here's one
0: of your comedies. um, And the tagline is smart is the new sexy. And smart is the new sexy is that show is one of the biggest, most successful comedies Ever. and of course we're talking about the big bang theory and um so I had that- no
1: idea what you know it's going to be any different than any other show you know it, you know it's the show itself obviously but it, it just gives the idea well these are intelligent people and it's not going to be your you know it's going to be a, a sitcom but not not a super silly i mean obviously the people in it are all very educated and uh so you're getting getting something a little bit different
0: Well, um, you know, Rocco, uh, I came to you, obviously, we we talked about The Second Wife and Wicked, but because of my experience in working with people like you and ad agencies for Wicked and and, uh, There's Something About Mary, um, that when I started writing my novels, uh, The Looking Glass Wars, and I knew that I you know, obviously, it's a reimagining of Alice in Wonderland, so I wanted to find a way to sort of capture the, the history of, of Alice in Wonderland and culture and redefine it and re, reposition it for a contemporary audience. And, and the title of books is, is really important, but it really just falls on the author. And um, and the publisher, you know, goes along with what the author wants because it's really very individual. Uh, often, the publisher, most of the time, the publisher will take control of the of the title of the of the book cover, and they do all the designs. It's all in house. They come up with the taglines. I had a lot of really great artwork from Hollywood concept artists. So my whole approach to marketing my books was based on the Hollywood model. So I, I always knew The Looking Glass Wars was going to be the title because it, it speaks to something very familiar, you know, stepping through a looking glass, but it adds that dynamic of war and something ominous and there's something bigger going on. But I also thought I really needed a tagline um, and the tagline that I ended up landing on was "Fantasy just declared war on reality," so th- that became really important. And then for the next book, seeing "Red," I knew the title. Um, and then for the third book, I was struggling uh, for for a title, and and then you know i came to you to help on all of these on you know a number of these titles so i think my question to you is how much did your knowledge or your sense of alice and pop culture influence any of those titles you came up with
1: well definitely alice being a you know stronger figure a stronger uh, girl rather than you know being swept around by all these characters. She's taking charge. She wants to get her kingdom back. She's in control. And so I guess, I think I probably, I haven't seen the list for a while, but I, I have a feeling that a lot of them were shorter. And, and I think it's just trying to get the idea of, uh, you know, just a little shorter, a little bit more punch. So yeah, it's it's a, it's a little combination of all what you said. Uh, your input, things I knew about the original story, but more specifically about your interpretation of the story, going back to some you know file and seeing if there was something that I put down that you know it could work uh, exploration.
0: There <laughs> an was, exploration. and and that's and that's true. So you know, for instance, there was um, burning borders which okay. i really which I really mm-hmm. like, and yeah. I particularly like it today, for whatever yeah. reason um I, oh that's a that's an interesting you also had cross border there was uh, border rains, border power, but you know you're you're right the exploration is really is really great because a lot of times that exploration will produce uh, phraseology or a couple of words that I can use in the marketing of social media that um, allows for a a little variation on what the story is. Um, So given that, um, why don't you share your history with Alice in Wonderland? How did you come to Alice? Was it through the books or the movies or something else?
1: Uh, actually through the Disney film, you know, which was re The animated film. Wait, the
0: animated film. The animated yeah, film, yeah. yes.
1: Yeah. Not, uh, yeah, there's many, many versions. And, uh, was the animated, Disney animated film, which of course, um, you kept everything a little bit lighter. Yeah. It was only a little bit that I read through the looking glass, but, uh, you know, there's such classic elements to it. That's why it's continually retold. But the story itself is, is classic and you see, reverberations of it everywhere so i think yeah for me that was it was the initial and then your uh, uh, reinvention i should say of that story
0: well thank you very much and rocco it's really fun to uh to hear these stories and uh what went into it i really appreciate it hey
1: thank you yeah all right later Bye. Bye. bye